0: Thanks everyone for joining us today. I'm Jeff Champion, Risk, Professional Practice Principal for Asaka. Joining me today to talk about his recently released article, What Makes a Risk Assessment So Unpleasant and How to Change That, is Ryan Clotier. Ryan, thank you for joining us today. Oh, glad to be here, thanks for having me on. No problem. To get us started, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: My journey into InfoSec started many, many years ago. Uh, Built my first PC when I was eight, wrote my first software program when I was nine, compromised my first system at nine and a half. For the remaining, say 15, 20 years, uh, dibble, dabble, didn't really pursue it as a career. And then uh, one day my spouse came to me and said, you're know, you really good with computers, Uh, your current job doesn't have a good retirement plan. And then I, I embarked on my journey into IT. What led me to where I am today is, as a parent, I was sitting at home uh, my son was uh, in high school. He came home, said he knew the staff Wi-Fi password. I told him I did too. It was the school's mascot and the building address. He says, how do you know that? I said, oh man, this is everywhere. And that night I was really frustrated and I, I was kind of internalizing and you know, as a security professional at that point, I knew that they could do better. And I was you know wondering why they hadn't been able to do better and, and kind of decided I could be the guy to get up and rattle a saber and demand someone do something, or I could just be the one to get up and do something. And so from that moment forward, my entire career has been dedicated and focused to serving the underserved communities, K-12, local government, inner city communities, socio and economically uh, disadvantaged individuals. And and that's what kind of led me down the path and, and really gave me the inspiration ultimately for writing the article I did.
0: That's incredible. You compromised your first system at nine years old that's amazing
1: i mean in all fairness it was an unprotected cgi bin it was relatively easy to access but uh it's that curiosity for how things work you know i was the kid that always took apart the phone the vcr you know to the chagrin of my father of course who was quite upset because well i could take it apart to figure out how it worked i wasn't always successful in putting it back together
0: that's technology that's for sure i thought your article was interesting so Many companies have nightmares when it comes down to risk assessments. I'm sure that's what everybody was thinking, like, man, this is so unpleasant. And I want to know, how did you come up with the name? So, the common
1: challenge, no matter what industry I'm, I'm working with, is that traditionally, those that are responsible for providing answers to risk assessments are not necessarily technical people. And a lot of times the risk assessments are very narrow and focused around a lot of of technical terms or in some cases, you know, high level theoreticals, right? Um, The frameworks don't give really prescriptive guidance. So we're asking a lot of vague questions uh, of folks that may or may not understand the question they're being asked, may or may not understand uh, what would be the correct answer. And because a lot of times it's driven by compliance, not necessarily improving security practices, there's an attitude of, I just have to do this. I don't want to do this. It's not pleasant for me. So I'm gonna get through this as fast as I can. Um, and and But at the end of it, when they walk away, they, they didn't have a positive experience. They didn't actually Grow and learn and gain a deeper understanding of why that question is being asked in the first place or how that question is relevant to their business objectives, to their personal safety, or to the success of, of themselves or, or their family. And, and, you know, I was trying to find a way to describe it and it, and it kind of dawned on me, you know, they suck. They just, they suck. It, it, bottom line, I've conducted them and they sucked. I've been on the receiving end of them and they suck and it's just not anything any of us you know really look forward to doing and so i thought you know what a what a great way to kind of take this on because risk assessments are very important they're they're critical and foundational to any effective security program and then they also can help with compliance but it's it's that suck factor that seems to perpetuate the one and done the i only want to do this once a year we're only going to look at risk annually and and as part of what Security Studio, very fortunate to be the president of, our whole goal is to simplify risk assessments. And so that's what kind of led me to the title was, you know, how do I grab people's attention in, in a way that's going to engage them and hopefully then be able to impart to them some information about different ways to approach the problem and think about the problem.
0: And so to think about simplifying things, I was more thinking, would this approach be more Quantitative, a qualitative, or hybrid approach? You know, I tend to think
1: it's it's a bit of a hybrid. It the first thing we should always do is connect the risk back to the business itself. Technical risk is is great. Engineers love engineering. Uh, I'm I, I myself uh, geek out. You know, I definitely enjoy it. But to really have it be impactful and meaningful, we we've got to start connecting it back to the business, and that requires a shift in language. It requires a, a shift in in the analogies, the examples, the way in which we present the information uh, so that we can ask the right question the right way to get a meaningful answer. And, and so I think it is, you know, definitely it needs to be, you know, uh, qualitative, but also quantitative. Uh, you have to be able to measure objectively what the risk is uh, in order to, you take a scientific approach to be able to show the value and the progress of the activities back to the ultimate stakeholders who are the business a lot of times risk assessments are treated as an it problem but really they're a they're a business leader issue but we're not being successful in engaging the business in a way that they then feel uh, that this is about the business and they want to be active participants instead of passive contributors
0: Makes sense. What would be the time of a risk assessment to to be completed?
1: Uh, So the the lightest weight risk assessment that we have uh, takes under two hours. From nothing at all, never conducted a single assessment before, uh, all the way through actionable, defensible, insurable roadmaps, action plans with estimates of work effort, scheduling, all of that baked in under two hours. You know, the, the spreadsheet method, you can do the same, but generally that's, you know, lacking a lot. And, and even though the assessment phase itself only took a short amount of time, uh, all the extra work you have to do on the back end to make it actionable ends up, you know, being 40 hours or more. Uh, but we we have a, a, a lightweight one that you can get through in, in under two hours.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's fast. From an organization standpoint, do you think that companies waste their time and resources When it comes down to assessments?
1: I think they do. I think a lot of times because the driver is checking a box and not necessarily thinking about, you know, how does this impact a business process? Is it really a a cybersecurity risk or is it a business process issue? You know, and, and maybe the solution to reducing risk is modifying the business process. So I think a lot of time is wasted on technical language, trying to be force fit or, or, uh, prescribed to the business, uh, but not really connecting. And then of course, you know, lost time to, I don't have the answer. I need to email somebody. They didn't get back to me. Maybe they're on vacation. So I I do think there's a lot of efficiencies that are are missed opportunities. So just a lot of businesses turning gears because it's a have to not a want to.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's pretty common. And, And, um, Me, myself, you know, a part of risk assessments and I'll do this risk assessment is kind of what you said earlier. It does feel like, you know, this is something I have to do because the framework says this. And so it's kind of like checking those boxes.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I'll I'll add this compliance should be the outcome of a good security program. But I, I caution folks who use compliance as a driver for cybersecurity. You can be very compliant and still very insecure. Very rarely do I find an organization that has an effective security program to be non-compliant. And so I think part of it is uh, we've reached a point as a society where it's it's time to shift this focus and shift the the reasoning behind it. Am I doing a risk assessment because I don't want to get a fine? Well, that's one motivator. But more importantly, am I doing a risk assessment because I care to protect my customer? Because I care to protect the the agency or the service uh, that that I'm providing this to uh, from harm? And, and that's a that's a different mindset than just uh, making sure the box is checked so that the auditor doesn't find fault.
0: I agree. I agree. I think I think so many people become so focused on frameworks where it kind of takes them away from. You know, sometimes, in some senses, anywhere, it, it just takes you in a circle, and, and you'll be putting in unnecessary controls. It'll be like some a compensating control.
1: Yeah, or or you know, not uh, the control doesn't fit. I'll give you a, a quick example. Individual reached out to me the other day. They were absolutely certain they needed CMMC, and I said, okay, let's let's talk through this, right? And and of course, uh, for those of you that are knowledgeable of this, it's a it's a moving target. Really, it's just 171 high for maybe the next 20 months. Uh, but I need CMMC. I said, okay, well, which one of the agencies uh, within the DoD are you servicing? None of them. Okay, which do you manufacture something? Are you uh, sub to a prime? You know, is there is there a reason? You know, where did you get this uh, idea that you need CMMC? Well, I, I saw a thing, and it, and it says we could that we should have it, and. It dawned on me then that that one of the problems with the frameworks and ultimately then the risk assessments is we're not we're not contextualizing. Uh, So we've got folks out there that are, are trying to achieve, you know, 853 level four when really they just need CSF light. So, you know, it's what is the risk you're trying to address and then finding the right set of frameworks and then within those frameworks, the right depth of detail. I think makes the the process a lot easier. A lot of times folks just fire off to vendors uh, a default template they found on the internet and it may be overkill for that vendor.
0: That's very true. What do you think the disconnect is um, with the risk assessment that result in security vulnerabilities?
1: So I think the the biggest disconnect is that the, the number one vulnerability to an organization isn't technical, it is cultural. Uh, I like to say, I want to take you from security aware to security care. I'm aware of a lot of things that I, I just don't care about. I, I can't, there's there's too much information coming in every minute of every day. And we've missed so many opportunities to really engage our users. We've, we've given them these terrible trainings, full of technical jargon that doesn't mean anything to anyone, um, especially the average person. And Instead of using that as an opportunity to talk about their dinner table at home, to talk about, uh, you know, how they're keeping their family safe, uh, the family photos. You know, most of us don't have a shoebox of pictures under the bed any longer, right? It's all on the on the phone. So are we are we backing that up? And so I think that the the human aspect it remains the greatest vulnerability, but not because the users are just willy nilly clicking, although maybe one or two of them are, but. Because we have not, we as an industry, as infosec professionals and risk professionals, have not engaged them in the dialogue of digital life. It's, it's been a computer problem, an IT problem. And so when, when it comes to that, the, the user says, well, I'm not IT. I'm not a computer expert. So does this really apply to me? And when we shift that to dialogue around digital life and, and protecting and promoting a successful digital life, we tend to see a greater degree of engagement and what's nice about that is a active defender is the greatest security control that you can have uh, because you know that great security tool it has a vulnerability maybe it's been released maybe you find out next week so the tools by themselves are helpful but don't actually create security we also know that the amount of vulnerabilities that exist within systems today is is daunting tens of thousands of new ones are dis- discovered each month we spend a lot of time you know yelling at everybody to patch patching sometimes creates its own problems but what's interesting is when you do create an active defender they tend to slow down they tend to have a higher degree of healthy skepticism and that actually reduces the vulnerability and risk exposure uh, to a business. It's hard to assess. Uh, we did develop a method for assessing it. It's a, a personal risk assessment that's that we charitably make available called S2Me to help families at home. Because we found if we focus at home, they'll bring those habits and skills back into the office.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's funny you was talking about, Patrick, and I've broke my fair share servers. <laughs> I mean, uh, test, test, right? Test environment. Yeah, that's why I like to test them first. And- And you see and you kind of see what it breaks and once you see what it breaks, then you know what you can apply.
1: Well, and here's where it gets interesting. Let's let's unwind that for a half second. So let's say a patch comes out from a vendor, but I'm unable to apply it because it will disrupt a critical function of my business. Well, now I have to make a risk decision and nowhere in the framework does it prescribe to you how to go through that process. How do you make that decision? What are the specific metrics that you're going to look at from a business perspective uh, that will help inform you on the level of investment you might need to make in compensating controls or other uh, methods of mitigation? And so I think, you know, assessments alone, awareness alone, and, you know, tools alone, any of these things alone, without the active participation of the business in normal human speak... Uh, I think you know we'll continue to to see these these issues, but really just engaging them and 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 having them participate in that assessment process helps them arrive at those aha moments. And the most successful assessments are the ones that are are scientifically sound; they're uh, objective and not subjective, and they tend to speak common language uh, that is very relatable to the business, regardless of their industry.
0: Interesting. That's very interesting. In the midst of this, if you had, let's say, you know, you was cooking ingredients of this assessment and what can we do to make it more pleasant?
1: First thing is reduce the questions. The amount of questions we ask traditionally is overkill. A lot of information can be gleaned from less but more thoughtful questions so for example uh in the security studio solution uh first i'm going to ask you if you manage your firewall and if you say that you don't manage it there is no point in asking you the ins and outs of how that's just adding additional volume and increasing the time until you can complete that assessment so one of the ways you make it more pleasant is to respect the time that's being invested and and try really hard to be more thoughtful in the way you're gathering information. And then on the back end, a true risk professional can easily interpret that and, and then map it to specific technical assessment questions that might be more relevant.
0: Are there some ways translating risk can help an organization, make, make smarter decisions? I'm just curious about that.
1: Conversation. It's, it's, a, it's a human thing. It really is. It's, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give an example of how we help K-12. So Security Studio created the world's first comprehensive ISO NIST aligned uh, risk assessment, but did it in language that resonates with K12. So if you go into K12 and you say, let's talk about business continuity, the first gut reaction is we're not a business. So now they're already beginning to shut down. They, 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 you don't get it. you don't you're not you know, familiar with what what matters to us. And so you're, you're already entering that at a disadvantage. What we did is said, well, wait a second, they're not a business, what do they do? Now they are in the business and that business is learning. So a simple word modification from business to learning, we were able to release a learning continuity plan. You can get that on, on our website, no, no email gate, completely uh, uh, free, no gimmicks. And we found great success. They said, oh my gosh, this just makes sense. You know, we talked about curriculum systems, not business systems. So it's that minor tweak. And we found the same thing is true in small healthcare, rural governments, uh, agriculture, you know, really connecting with them and using the nomenclature that they're comfortable and familiar with makes the bridge between the non-technical and technical that much easier to cross.
0: That makes sense. That definitely makes sense. So does that change per industry? It does.
1: And what's fascinating is it's, it's generally just the nouns. The spirit of the question doesn't change. The intent of the question doesn't change, but the way in which it is described. So for example, if I'm talking to a community of retired folk, right? I'm going to use terminology more familiar to their generation, more familiar to their cultural background. I'm not going to speak to a rural community the same way I would an urban community because they have different views on risk. And that's the other thing we have to respect is not every person sees risk the same way. There are cultural nuances, socioeconomic nuances, geographic nuances. Quick example, I I go, you know, I give a lot of talks. And if I'm in a rural community, I say, lock your doors. They look at me like I have three heads. Well, if I lock my door, how does Jerry leave me walleye in the freezer? And if I'm in an urban community, I say, lock your door. They look at me like I have three heads because, yeah, that's just what you do. So it's, part of it is we as an industry have to, to respect the fact that not everybody is going to view risk the same way, even within the same business, even within the same department. They could have different cultural, socioeconomic or other drivers that cause them to view risk differently.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. With all these different communities how will we be able to translate, let's say, like this language over to them, to, you know, to make, to, make, to make the assessment more pleasant? Uh,
1: so the way we've done it is we align to an industry code. So we have a language set by industry code, and then we have levels of maturity. And depending on the level of maturity, uh, and we also collect some, some demographic data. So programmatically, when, when a customer registers within our system, we're able to ascertain a few key points that allows us to point them to the language set that's most likely to be successful for them. And then the, the last leg of that stool, if you will, is in the assessor themselves, right? And, and kind of setting them up for success and, and providing them with the necessary training to identify when maybe the look on the face says, I don't quite get it. And that take that as the cue it is to maybe reposition the dialogue. I had a gentleman was a fantasy football guy I was trying to explain multi-factor why this individual needed it i used every traditional example in the book and none of them landed but when i said that i could manipulate the results of the fantasy football the gentleman leaned forward and said how many factors can i have still didn't know what i was talking about but boy he wanted them all so i think there's there's that that nuanced piece of relationship as well like you know maybe this shouldn't be so cold and cut and dry maybe we're here to protect people and we should maybe act a little bit with uh, act with a little bit of bedside manner, if you will.
0: Nice. Yeah, I think that's always the challenge, like to translate that language over to, to stakeholders and leaders is just always a challenge.
1: Part of it is uh, what drives them, right? So. Uh, some folks are driven by ego. Some are driven by dollars. Some are driven by their, you know, social contribution. Generally speaking, if you're at that level, you're you're going to be working with a smaller group of folks. Uh, take that extra little bit of time to get to know them. What drives them? And I think if you're if you're paying attention, you'll be given all the cues needed to then turn around and frame the questions in a way that that truly resonate with them.
0: That's awesome. That's incredible. Is there anything you would like to highlight for our audience? Just curious. Uh,
1: you know, I, I definitely encourage you if, you, if you're if you struggling at all uh, as a risk assessor or, or those you know dealing with the, the struggles of, of risk assessments, you know, check out a Security Studio site. We have a ton of ungated, very helpful content, policy templates, procedural templates, the um, lightweight assessments. So you can kind of gauge where the client is. Uh, no gimmicks, no catch. We really do just want to uh, help simplify risk management and risk assessments so that we can ultimately drive action forward to improve security, increase safety, uh, and reduce the likelihood that you know a ransomware event has a catastrophic or, or negative impact.
0: That's awesome. Me, myself, I'm definitely going to read it. I'm definitely going to th- go on the website and take time and read it. I think everyone else should, too. We probably could talk all day, um, but that's all the time we have left. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Click below to read Ryan's full article. It's fantastic. A good read. I'm Jeff Champion, and thank you for tuning in.